Political rallies tend not to be places of greatest truth. Screaming crowds and confident candidates can make good photo opportunities, but when the rally ends, all that's left is a stark, empty room and talking heads on television taking apart the many claims and promises. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is called triumphant. We've read about it this morning. And I'm telling you that in your faith, you need to encounter this story. If you are to get caught up in it, praising Jesus and declaring him king, then you're also to face the other truth of this day. That Jesus wept rather than riding the praises of the people to earthly power. You must face also that the very same people, many of the very same people who cried out in praise of Jesus would soon scream for his execution. They would demand that he be killed. Do you have that slide, Amanda? This is, a, this is actually a painting from 1912. It looks more current, doesn't it? More contemporary of the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry is the coming of a king. It's a parade of victory. The triumphal entry is the fulfillment of prophecy. The prophet Zechariah had written, Behold, your king is coming to you riding on a donkey. And the people put down their cloaks on the ground and the closest thing that poor and working people can contrive to a royal carpet. And they shouted out praises, taking their words from the 118th Psalm. You can look this up. 25th and 26th verses, I believe. Hosanna, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this is fulfillment of prophecy. It's the coming of a king. But it will prove to be, at least in part, political rally. The crowd makes it thus, not Jesus. The people in power, the Pharisees and the Romans, they don't fall for it. The religious leaders try to calm the whole thing down. They hate it. It's somehow vulgar and embarrassing and potentially threatening. They jostle through the crowd and find Jesus and interrupt the whole thing, or try to. Tell these people to calm down, they say. And as if, almost as if he can't do much about it, Jesus says, If the people calm down, the rocks will cry out. The power of the state, the government, lies not with the Pharisees, but with the Romans. And they barely notice this almost childish parade. Those Jews again, so backward. This little display is just another curiosity. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Give us success. Answer my woes. Fulfill my hopes. The world has let me down in so many ways. But you can correct this for me. Hosanna! Picture all of that world weariness that those people carried that day. All of that hanging on. These people were not powerful in the world that were singing these praises. All of the hanging on and not being able to get ahead. And worse than that, even despair at the apparent lack of security and control of their own lives. And here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus into the crowd, into the noise of it. Here comes Jesus carried along by the crowd. Here comes Jesus and you. You, maybe even as part of that crowd, don't ignore him or turn away. You take up the chorus of strong, almost ragged praise. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. O Lord, grant us success. 
Listen, my people. I sometimes wish, and I do wish at times, that I could tell you that there was another way. And many times I have felt you asking me to tell you a different way. You want success. But while you're here in this place praising Jesus, I'll tell you the truth. And simply ask you, has anybody ever told you the truth? You won't get to the cross. I hope you come here Friday. I hope. And I don't want to judge you or condemn you with this, but I do say it with, I understand, a bit of an edge of harshness. Don't treat next weekend like a long weekend only. Not if you're a Christian. You don't have to come here. But I hope you observe this important remembrance in our faith somewhere. You won't get to the cross. This is the truth. You won't see the reality of the cross. And I'm convinced that many people in many churches don't see the reality of the cross. It might be better to get rid of it and just have great services. You won't see the depth of the enduring love of God for the whole world unless everything you feel matters right now. Everything you know is shattered. If you pause the scene of the triumphal entry, the crowds and the noise, when it's almost chaotic praise, a pause, and we can picture this really well because we've grown up watching television and video. If you pause this chaotic praise, it can be striking because then you could go through one by one the persons, the people in the frame, the crowd of people and among them the disciples, and now you have to use your prayerful imagination. I ask myself, where's Peter? I picture Peter like a few steps ahead of the donkey, just clearing the way, and proudly so, acting like he's in charge of Jesus. <laughs> There's lots of church people like that. The crowd of people. I, well, and you consider Peter, where would he be just a few days from now? What did he think this day meant, Palm Sunday? And where would he be just a few days from now? You know, if you know this story and this faith, this big bear of a man would find himself outside the walls of the city, convulsing in sorrow. Shame to a point of darkness almost greater than death. We're less sure of the people, and we can imagine their stories as we've got it paused. And when you pause a scene of praise like this, sometimes you know this, right? Sometimes if you zero in on the face and you didn't know what was going on, you wouldn't necessarily be, be able to tell whether they were uh, jubilant or angry. Because praise can be like that, like abandoned praise. It was jubilance on Palm Sunday, but soon it would be anger. And when I pause it, I, I ask myself to picture John, the disciple, not quite as um, pushy as Peter, but pretty aware of himself, too, like you're aware of yourself, mostly. I picture John, I put him beside the donkey, always with a hand, like right on, on the donkey, kind of marshalling Jesus politely through the crowd as much as he could. I tell myself that he would have felt pretty good about being John that day, but in a matter of days, everything John knew would be shattered as well. 
and his whole identity would be gone so that after this story, he wouldn't even have the name John anymore, not in his telling. I want you to know the truth, that you will not see the cross, you will not truly know faith without seeing brokenness, the brokenness and the emptiness of all other plans for your life. I want to be pastor. And I want to tell you that everything else you're trusting in will fall. I'm not saying that God wants bad for you, and brokenness and emptiness are never goals. Don't long for brokenness. Don't long for emptiness. God doesn't want bad for you. And I'm not saying that he'll take whatever you care about away. I've been part of the, I've been listening to many of those sermons too, where the way the minister talks, he seems to tell you like, the thing you hate the most, that's what's going to happen to you. Don't believe that. That's not necessarily the case. What I'm saying is that any other plan you have, any other plan you have, and I know you're working on many of them, I know you. Any other plan you have to find success or freedom, any other idea you might be working on, to find meaning or security, it won't work. Even, we're in church, even if it's religious, often particularly so, it won't work. My desire, and this is hard for me because I love you, but my desire is that you would be found in a place, I have a picture in my mind of each of you, I've prayed through, And I picture you sitting on ground, dry and dusty ground, the kind of place where you're not supposed to be sitting down there. The only reason you'd be sitting down there is if something's gone wrong. And I picture you sitting on that ground. You're by yourself. You don't even have loved ones around you at this point. And everything has become utterly uncertain, and you have nothing. I am not wanting for your failure. I'm just wanting something better than the world's definition of success for you. What I want is that you would know salvation. I want you to know that whatever you staked your life on, career, success, your good looks, there might be some, money, power, identity, it won't work. There was this projection going on on Palm Sunday. You do it, I do it. It's just that most people, ministers included, won't at times call your attention to it. And Palm Sunday becomes like James described, this um, you know, jubilance without the sorrow at times. There's a projection going on that as we look at Jesus Christ entering the city, he will be the one to make it right for me. Do you ever treat your Lord Jesus like that? He will be the one to make it right for me. And here's how I see things. And here is what I want. The truth is, and I'm saying this as much or more to myself than I am to you, but I'm saying it to you also, the way of Jesus Christ does not fit into any of our plans. Not a one of them. Not one. I think that I'll do this and then I'll take some courses and then I'll get this job and I'll be really good at my job and then maybe I'll get married and I'll have a couple of kids and we'll get a house. Well, let's drop the house one off because I live in Vancouver. But No, I think I will because I'll be successful. 
They're expensive here, but we can do it. And it might be kind of small, but we'll have some vacations and maybe we'll have enough room to keep some of our things. But it will be too small to keep all of our things. And so we'll rent storage lockers as big as barns. And I'll say to myself, well done. Now you can rest. Or I'll become a pastor. Not many of you have this concept, but indulge me. And I'll devote my life to speaking about the gospel. And it'll be good, and God will bless it, and people will think, oh, that's nice, isn't it? Isn't he a lovely pastor? He's good at what he does. Or maybe they won't think that. Maybe they'll wonder why it seems that things are going wrong. Why hasn't he done better? He's not so great. He's barely even capable. But it's okay. I've done all right for myself. Or maybe religion. You'll work for God, showing people what they need, and you'll think, you won't articulate this, but I'll press you, and I know you think it. Isn't it good that you're around to help those people? Showing people what they need and using your gifts and making a difference. If only people would listen to you. Why aren't they interested? Palm Sunday and what happens next will show us that you can bring nothing to the cross. Nothing at all. The cross shatters everything. Did you think you would be able to bring something there? The Lord of all creation gave his life there. And you want to bring whatever it is that's impressive about you and somehow sanctify it or something and go on with your life? It shatters everything. Try it. In prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to guide you, try to bring your career to the cross and see what happens. You have to not consider the cross. You have to consider yourself. Because if you consider truly what Jesus is doing, you'll leave even these important things. Bring your plans for God. Bring your gifts and talents. You can't bring these things to the foot of the cross. I am not a pastor at the foot of the cross. Or even in some ways a father. See, there's this scene on the ground that's happening, Palm Sunday, and the same event seen from the heavenly realms. Jesus is there on the ground, part of what we see as an earthly procession, but at the same time, Jesus carries the heavenly perspective. It's like God, I could draw this for you, but it would be distracting, so try to picture it if you can do this. It's like God is this giant iceberg underneath of all of, his, all of history, and history are like the waves, the surface of the water. And every now and then, the iceberg pops up above the waves, right? But you don't have any idea of how that thing is under all of that water. And Palm Sunday, Jesus' whole life, but certainly Palm Sunday is like one of those times where the reality of God pops up above the surface. It's like an acted out parable. Jesus not teaching us about gardens and plants and trees and mustard seeds, but Jesus living the parable itself. But you have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. In human terms, it's obvious what's happening that day. Victory! Hosanna is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And everyone is excited about it. Almost everyone. Jesus weeps. What is supposed to happen next is Jesus will be crowned king, the Messiah. And from now on, now put yourself in the place of the people singing the praises. From now on, how much do you want this, really? From now on, things will go 
our way, the Lord will show everybody that we were right all along. In heavenly terms, Jesus sees the events of that day, well, in earthly terms, but he sees them also in the heavenly realms differently. And rather than taking up the adulation of the crowd and spurring it on and holding bigger rallies, which is always the political ideal, Jesus weeps, and then he goes to the temple and he turns over the tables, seems to be taken up with anger, and then he finds himself alone. My question to you today, Christian or otherwise, my question to you today is, are you open to faith? I'm going to tell you, and I want to be gentle with it, most of the time you're not. You want success. I can tell you that the promise of Jesus is full and abundant life. I'm not saying faith is one thing and success is another. I'm saying that our definition of success is so twisted and warped. The promise of Jesus is full and abundant life, and it's better than you could ever imagine. I have, this is the only thing I could stake my life on. It's more than you could ever hope to achieve for yourself. But whatever it is that you're playing with right now, and now I picture you, instead of on the dusty ground, I picture you like a child in the sandbox. Or like my little son Matthew, who we reminded him this week that when he was a little child and still slept with his arms up like that, you know, that perfect baby pose. And as he grew a little bit older, he always had something in his hand, a little toy car or something like that. And I picture you and I say to you, whatever it is that you're playing with, and this is tough, earthly success, wealth like little toy cars, the status of a successful career, your religious zeal, your spiritual gifts, Whatever it is that you're playing with, you've got to put it down. You have your cause. You know what the world needs. I could put I in there as well. You have your contentment. You know what it is you want out of life. Will you allow the plan for your life to die with Jesus Christ? That's a Christian thing to do. It would take incredible trust, wouldn't it? But I can tell you, I can promise you, I can promise you that if you let this die with Jesus Christ, if you can say, as our scriptures do, I have been crucified with Christ, then you will also say, I have been raised with Christ. And however you're blessed to live, maybe you'll get some of those things back. But however you're blessed, you're blessed to live, you will see that your very life comes not from all or from any of those things that you were hanging on to. In fact, you will, in the words of our scripture, count them all rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And you will know in your faith that your life comes from him. Jesus is not the candidate. That's what the people thought. Jesus will not represent your cause. Do it now. Imagine Jesus as the candidate for your political cause, your political party, or your particular perspective of faith. Put Jesus in the place where he will champion what it is that you're most interested in. Do you feel the distaste in that? 
Do you see how you abuse him? He's not your champion. He's your Lord. He's not a candidate. He is also not, praise be to God, your personal trainer. Jesus is not sitting down with you saying, tell me about your goals. What is it that you want out of life? This is what our world's like now. Like the most important thing is what we feel and how we can get what we would like. It might even be good. It might even be to help people. Jesus is not going to be your personal trainer. Jesus is taking all the goals and all the plans and all the human declarations of strength that you have ever heard or said. He's taking your sins. That's the obvious part, isn't it? Of course he's taking your sins. He's taking your sins, the bad you do. But praise God, he's taking also your certainties. The things that you think are good about yourself. He's taking all of the worlds and all of yours and he's taking them to the cross. And there is a way in which Jesus is is saying, these are the very things that are killing you. All of your attempts to build your own life, however old you are, whatever space in life you're at, you thought by this time in your life, especially with how well you've done, didn't you think that you'd feel better? These are the things that are killing you. And he's taking those things and dying. And letting them kill him. The things that we identify ourselves with, whether they're sinful or or certainties that we feel as positive, they create a world of us and them. Christians, non-Christians, this this uh, race, that race, this age, that age, this political persuasion, that political persuasion. It's our things that make us and them. What's terrible and shameful is that we use Jesus to do the same thing. What an abuse of faith. We were the ones who make us and them. We're the ones who create a world of winners and losers as if there's any such thing as a winner and any such thing as a loser. And how would you determine it? And are you a winner? And Jesus is saying, these are the very things... Listen to me, people. These are the very things that are sucking the life out of you. I imagine the words of my Lord. Indulge me again. Todd, you think that your life is found in these things, but they're killing you. And I hear like he told me I would. He told me I would, that I'd be able to hear the voice of my shepherd. Him, my Lord. And I hear the voice of my shepherd saying the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. But the thief isn't the big news because I've come that you might have life and have life to the full. It's gentle and strong. If you cannot see this in your life as Jesus comes into the city and we sing songs of praise. If you can't see this, I can tell you where you will be in less than a week. I might be there too, with the screaming hordes crying out for Jesus' death. Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry. We call it that, triumphal. Jesus takes on the identity of Messiah, the one who had been prophesied about, the coming king. But he's a lowly Messiah riding on a donkey, not on a horse, a symbol of strength and power, but on a donkey, a symbol of peace. And there is this pathetic nature to the scene. Don't let Christians make it too tidy for you. No political candidate would stage such a ragtag demonstration. 
And Jesus is not a candidate for any earthly office. And Jesus is not a superhero. Jesus is not the end of all your supernatural longing. Jesus is is not God come to settle scores. If you look at the scene, Judas is there. Jesus' followers are there. Judas is still a follower of Jesus Christ at this time. And what did Judas want for the world? Judas wanted social justice. Freedom from the Romans. Freedom for these people singing these praises. And in a matter of days or hours, how disillusioned would Judas become with Jesus? Enough to be part of his death. The Pharisees were there. And their plan for the world was like some of you have. Their plan for the world was like religious law. If only people would be better people and follow the rules, then everything would be okay. Now, what's interesting is they gave up on Jesus long before Palm Sunday. And the people, we have to be a bit more imaginative with this, but we can know what the people were wanting. They were wanting a new politics, a new order of things, and they would finally get out from under the Romans' freedom, a chance to earn a decent living, maybe lower taxes. Hear me, please. Jesus disappointed them all. And I'm telling you that if you don't work past this disappointment with Jesus, because he will not be the champion of your cause. If you can't push through this disappointment, you won't be able to get to the cross. Jesus will not be superhero to your sense of justice. Jesus will not be the president or the prime minister that we always wanted. Jesus is not brethren or Baptist or Presbyterian or Catholic or Anglican. Keep going. He will never be the leader of any earthly group or denomination as we consider such leadership. He shatters all divisions. He loves all people, even the ones that you think are the problem in the world. He loves all people without regard to race, color, gender, religion, background, goodness, or badness. He will not be made to fit your plan because that's not what you need. He's the Savior of the world. And if I'm to regard this at all, then my question is to myself, will I be able to let go of my career, my money, my house, my identity, my role, my cause, my ideas for religious reform? My actual need is so much more than being successful or being right. Being right, so many religious people need to hear this. Being right will never save the world. If Jesus just wanted to walk into the city being right, he never would have gone to the cross. Being spiritual will not save the world, even super spiritual. Becoming the greatest spiritual warrior of all will not save the world. Only Jesus is Savior. And it's in Jesus that the fullness of God resides. It's Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Listen to those verses as he walks into the city. But became a servant, obedient to death, even death on a cross, and therefore God exalted him. He becomes Lord and Savior over all, and everything is gone until all that is left. Like the disciple John, he's John standing beside that donkey walking into the city, but a few days later he'll lose his name, and he'll give himself a new name when he recovers from some of the pain of this story, and when he writes it down so that you remember it in the Gospel of John. And he won't call himself John anymore, 
That name's gone. Now he is the one who Jesus loved. And that's my name now. And yours, if you see this, and maybe you have a successful career, but if you see this, if you're able to let go of those things, you will realize that as you come to life in Jesus Christ, you are not first a pastor or an accountant or a lawyer or a teacher or a nurse or a worship leader. You're not first a prayer warrior or an elder. Because now you live in the light of the gospel. And some of those toys you dropped when you're made alive in Christ, maybe you pick them up again. But you never really take them seriously anymore. Hear me? You have a new name now. How do you get from palm waving to bloodthirsty screams so quickly? And you tell yourself that you would never do such a thing. I mean, I know you tell yourself that. You would be the one who didn't make that change. All right. The fact that you think that means that you most likely are. How do you get from palm waving to bloodthirsty screams so quickly? I'll tell you. You simply hold on to the most important things in your life. So we're going to sing. Sing it. uh, Did we already sing this song? I'm losing track. That doesn't matter. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. What is less, like my hope is built on nothing less? I'll tell you what less is. Everything. Your intellect, your spiritual gifts, your religious zeal, your righteous anger, which some of, always in church there's people who need to give up righteous anger. Your morality. I'm warning you now as we move to Good Friday, And I'm telling you this as a pastor, as a friend, and as a a brother in Christ. I'm warning you that you you, you probably won't get through these next few days if you truly want to enter in in faith. In some way you'll be shattered. Jesus, the very thought of thee with sweetness fills my breast. He is sweet and merciful and tender. But what you are about to see is not that sweet at all. The hope of the world moving past our fickle praise, moving past our ideas of success, moving to the cross... And scripture makes clear, moving to the cross is his choosing. It didn't happen to him. He took up the cross. And you may find yourself way up here or way down here and all over the place. If you get through it, though, if you die, you will be raised, brought back to life. So, in your bulletins, you've got this. Um, there, Bart and Allison are going to do this song in a moment as we take communion. I don't want you to sing it, but I left the words with you, okay? And I praise my Lord. On the back of the page. We had no stones to throw. 
I'm not asking you to sing it. I don't want you to sing along, but I want to praise my Lord in your company. You came without an axe to grind. You did not tow the party line. No wonder sight came to the blind. You had no stones to throw. You had no stones to throw. And you rode an ass's foal. They spread out their coats and cut down palms for you and your donkey to walk upon, but the world can't find what it thinks it wants on the back of an ass's foal. So I guess you had to get sold because the world can't stand what it cannot own and it can't own you because you did not have a home. You'll see something if you get through this. Something that many here know, but I can say it in... From, from me, something that I know. You will see the all-sufficiency of Christ. The one who Jesus loved. That's my name now too. Maybe yours. Amen. So we turn to communion. You're welcome to receive communion if you know Jesus Christ or if you would like to. I'm going to change it up and ask that uh, you, you come up and receive communion. We'll get ushers to stand here with the uh, bread and the cup. And, and uh, if you would like to, you come and receive and listen to, um, to the song. So you rode an asshole. 
Sad. 